Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Roots 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. Great new inventory on those lots. Fabulous pre owned inventory. They go over it to make sure that you're buying the best you can get. And a fabulous service department. Great time to make deals, too. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com. Talk about the Steelers' route of the Eagles in a moment. What? You didn't like that transition? A little bit of an exaggeration. You're barely competitive. <laughs> you almost came back and won. I don't care. It's just didn't matter to me who won. First, our play-by-play call of the day. Justin Herbert's off to a great start with the Chargers. Third down and seven. It is Snap bit to his right. Herbert is being chased, throwing on the run, and it is caught. Touchdown, Keenan Allen. What a grab. As Herbert extends and Allen goes and gets it. And the Chargers score first. Steve Levy with the call on ESPN. Saints finally won it in overtime last night, 30-27. to And uh, Herbert continues to impress, but they came up short again last night. The L.A. Chargers did. All right, let's get to the Steelers. We're to hang on against the Eagles on Sunday. With that, we bring in Neil Kulong, who loves, obviously, our bumper music and everything. He goes with it. Neil, great to have you with us. It was. I, I like that music. I'm not sure what that was. I'm going to have to download that, though. That, no, no, that no, got that's, me moving here. That's, that's Steve Frank. He gets it done there. <laughs> he, he, he gets it done. Tell, tell him Hot Country Nights is what that one's there called. There we go. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. I want to know how you found that. That's crazy. He finds everything, believe me. Uh, all right, so <laughs> this is obviously the Chase Claypool week. Uh, you know, it's it's his deal, and I thought, you know, I thought Roethlisberger and Tomlin both did a great job of saying, hey, enjoy the moment, now go to the next game. All right? But it had to give him a lot of confidence. What kind of confidence does he give the Steeler offense by how he plays and how he can eventually help offset some other weapons? First off, let me point out that I was the one that said Chase Claypool wouldn't be contributing all that much early on in the season. Clearly, that didn't work out. Um, Look, secondly, it, 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 all it was was a slight mistake. All, all it was was more, this is what should have happened. It's just not what is happening. I, I really think <laughs> that he has exceeded every gate that they've put yeah, in front of him. I, I don't necessarily think that they planned for him to have the kind of game that he had. Deontay Johnson got hurt pretty early in that game. Uh, Claypool probably took over and did a lot of things. I mean, we've seen by now that the famous play, the skinny post that he ran for a touchdown, a play that Roethlisberger just looked at the defense and called out. Those types of things, I don't think they expected him to be in a position to be able to do. 
um, he's exceeded all of their expectations to this point. I mean, I, I, we even talked about the disadvantage of a guy like Claypool uh, not getting kind of the open-ended reps, the, the real development work during the season, the non-opponent work uh, during a bye week because they had that more or less taken away from him. He's getting better and better every game, and you see it. I mean, you know to this, um, during the game against Philadelphia, he's running inside routes. He hasn't done that yet, not really, not in a, a, a primary receiver sense. Um, and he, he catches everything they throw to him. He runs good routes. He's difficult to defend. I mean, on a couple of those plays, he had Darius Slay on him. I mean, you're you're not talking about you know some some unknown chump out there. He, he's a, a quality NFL player and has been for a long time. He beat him bad. I mean, it really wasn't competitive with him a couple times. Um, he, he's doing everything they need him to do, and then some for an offense that, that's still kind of trying to find its identity. And I think that's going to be the straw that stirs the drink, though. I think the ability to have a, a real vertical receiver who can run an inside route tree. And, and be able to make plays, you know, both in the vertical game as well as, you know, coming back to the ball to keep defenses back while you're making plays underneath. They're going to get a lot better because of that. And you hope that Johnson is healthy enough to be able to continue his growth and maturation as well. He's not – he didn't exactly I – don't, I don't want to say earn, but you wouldn't have expected Deontay Johnson getting 13 targets a game early in his career mm-hmm. or early in this season the way that he has. Uh, you couple that in now with Claypool's above and beyond expectations. You still have Juju Smith-Schuster capable of doing a lot of things in the short field. Um, there, there's going to come a point soon, I think, with this offense. It's going to be uh, you know, in sync enough with itself to be able to have a guy like Juju not running tight end routes anymore and, and getting down the field to make plays on the ball. Um, they're, they're almost, you know, I don't want to say you know, playing with one arm tied behind their back, but they're, they're growing into themselves right now, and they're taking their time. And on top of that, I don't think we've seen a Steelers team score as many points as this one has over the first four games. And it's the common thought, though, is even with all of that, we still haven't seen it at its best yet. So it, it's really kind of interesting how this season is, is taking shape early. It's going to get a lot tougher for them, but overall we're going to see a, a, an offense, I think, kind of take control over you know sort of the, the lead dog role of the team, um, along with the defense that really is still just kind of pinning its ears back and getting after the quarterback. And it, it's, it's been successful for them up to this point. All right, so because Roethlisberger is back, We've seen jet sweeps. Claypool scored on one. Saw them several times on Sunday against Philadelphia. It feels like they feel they can do a lot more just by Roethlisberger's mere presence. In other words, I don't think they would have thought of doing any of that stuff last year with Rudolph because they probably couldn't get away with it because they'd be stacking the box. Definitely not. I mean, you you don't. (laughs) Mason Rudolph didn't change any play in any way that did worked significantly. I, I think that's safe to say. Uh, the, the veteran presence of Roethlisberger, and probably more than anything else, I, I've said this a lot over the years, he's a very underrated intelligent quarterback. He's much smarter than people think that he is. I think, this is just my own personal observation, he's got a bit of cowboy in him, and he, he likes to try to, to squeeze the ball in places it shouldn't go pretty often. Exactly. Those are, are, are where his interceptions come from. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not mental mistakes. They're just kind of bravado, probably more more than anything else. And it paid off for him in a big way plenty of times, too. He eliminated that. He doesn't chuck it up deep anymore. He doesn't try to beat people with his physical ability. Uh, he is really playing 
within himself, within his body, and, and letting what he knows of the game take over. And you're seeing those results. I mean, I wouldn't say that he's played a, a phenomenal game, but he hasn't played a bad game either. The team is scoring points. They're not mm-hmm. turning the ball over, at least you know, not when they're, they're playing anybody but, but Denver. Right. He, he's been doing a great job managing what the team needs him to do. I, I hate the, the game manager label. I think that's one of the lamest cliches in sports. <laughs> he's not doing that. He is advancing right. the team down the field. He's winning games, but he's not putting them in a position to lose him either. You know, and they're they're going to continue to get better. Um, I I think a lot of this is you know the downside being I I'm not sure Ben is a hundred percent where he'd like to be physically, and I'm not sure he's going to get to that point. I'm I don't know really how much arm strength he has. I just know the ball is coming out on time. It's going to where it needs to go, and they are are completing passes and maintaining possession in a way that you should be doing when you have a dominant defense on the other side of the field, on, their, on the other side of the ball. Where are they on injuries in the offensive line? Um, what we heard is kind of ominous. I mean, what, what Mike Tomlin said today was both uh, Marquise Pouncey and David DeCastro could practice this week. The typical, we're going to let practice participation be our guide. What that means is they're probably not having surgery right now, and we don't need to worry about them being out for multiple weeks. Mm-hmm. It absolutely doesn't mean they're going to play on Sunday. So, I don't know. We're, we're going to have to do exactly that. Just wait and see uh, whether or not they practice. But, um, I don't know. Just the nature of the injuries that they had doesn't suggest to me that they just left the game for no apparent reason and they're fine in a week. Um, if they're without them, though, Cleveland's going to be a tough game for them as it is. Yes, it is. Um, and, and losing your two best in that fashion, which you know really kind of seems to be par for the course this year, that's going to be tough for them to overcome. Um, I, I'm not sure how they're going to be able to do it. Um, as we saw last year, they won without Marquise Pouncey. They won games this year without David Castro. I don't even know how many they've played without without either one of them starting, but they, it would be a significant hit. Uh, against a, a fairly underrated defense, or I shouldn't say underrated, but a, a defensive line that can push the court, push the line back and get to the quarterback. Uh, Miles Garrett is obviously really tough on the edge. Losing your middle with a guy like that on the outside, it, that's that's tough. Um, I don't think there's a, a, too many pairs of players the Steelers could lose and, and be okay with, you know, it, it, in a more familiar way than DeCastro and Pouncey. All right, so let's get to the defensive side because obviously after Roethlisberger went out last year, defense really carried the Steelers to an 8-8 eight eight record. Uh, did a phenomenal job. They're giving up some points, though, this year. Now, they've been able to overcome it because they have better offense. Why are they as porous on defense compared to where they were last year with essentially the same personnel? I would say right now, and it's small sample size, and Tomlin kind of commented on this as well, it, it, it's early uh, to expect that you've seen your end game already. You know, that this isn't going to be what the statistics sort of indicate by the end of the season. Uh, right now, though, the main thing is they give up big plays. I don't think they gave up big plays. Once Minka Fitzpatrick got in, um, in other words, beyond the first two weeks of the season, they didn't give up a whole lot of big plays. Um, down the stretch, that there really weren't many times they got beat deep in coverage. That, to me, is kind of what's happening. The Miles Sanders touchdown, to me, was really concerning because it, it's a defense that's giving up, like, two feet of carry. I mean, they're, they're not allowing anything on the ground. Right. The issue has been 
uh, overall that they'll get beat over the top, get beat on a big throw. Some play the quarterback makes a nice, you know, he's able to get rid of the ball after getting smashed in the backfield. He's getting something deep down the field. They might give that up here and there. Giving up a 74-yard run, especially when you've got him dead to rights in the hole, uh, something like that you have to be worried about. But you take that away, they didn't do anything on the ground at all. That's right. That's and that'd true. Be, that, that would be the third game this season. They've completely locked the other team out of a running game. Because I think Miles um, Sanders only had six yards rushing after that. Yeah, yeah. You take that big play away, especially at that point in the game. Philadelphia is never competing. They're going to throw the entire second half. The Steelers are going to play back a lot more. Maybe they give up some more stuff underneath, but they're not going to complete nearly as many third and 12s. The game wasn't going to be as competitive without that early touchdown. It was really the only thing that, that you could say outside of kind of a rougher second quarter for the Steelers. Going into the third quarter without that play, you don't expect them to be involved. They're not Offensively, they weren't going to do anything. They were eventually going to get to Wentz. Um, and not, you know, we have to keep him in the pocket kind of way like they had to do because the game was competitive. If they let their pass rushers just go after him, they would have put him on the ground. They would have gotten more turnovers out of it. It would have been a complete and total blowout. So the, the chain reaction of what happened after that was significant. And to me, it was really kind of a, the, the first shot against what was, you know, a pretty stout, pretty historical level run defensive effort by the Steelers in the first three games of the season. Um, they lose that, though, and they're, they're still a dominant unit. They play in a division that likes to run the football, and they like to stop it. You have to like their chances long-term with what they're going to face with their ability to stop the run. If that means they're going to give up more against the pass while they're blitzing, if that means that their ability to get to the quarterback while giving up plays deep, I, I think they'll make that trade-off if they are stopping the run the way that they are, because the reality is I know fans didn't like it, but Philadelphia didn't really compete heavily in that game. They weren't involved for very long, and the Steelers mm-hmm. stomped them out pretty quickly after uh, after Philadelphia showed that they couldn't land that knockout punch. It was late in the game, but how was T.J. Watt? Uh, he got back in, so okay. you have to like that. Um, I'm trying to remember if, if Tom wanted to say anything specifically about him, but I, I know he was back in the game, so... Um, that's probably okay. We've seen a couple times that's happened to him. He goes yeah. off for a couple plays, okay. and you know everyone holds their breath and sure. gnashes their teeth and hope that, that you know that the hope that the man TJ is all right. But by yeah. and large, I, I I would suspect that he's okay. But you're going to start to hear you know Tomlin's going to say a lot. The bumps and bruises associated with playing the National Football League. I think that's probably what it is. And he plays every snap that he's able to play, so a break in a series probably isn't the worst thing in the world for him either. The difference I see in the Cleveland Browns now than what I've seen in recent years is that the Browns have gone from hoping plays work to now going back and confident the play's going to work. You can just see it. You can just see how they approach it, their body language, everything. You know, they've gone from hoping, oh, okay, hey, we got a big play, to, oh, well, that didn't work. Let's hope we get the next one, too. Now, like, we're going to make this play. So how different now is it playing this Cleveland Browns team? I think this Cleveland Browns team is scary simply because they actually have an offensive structure. What you're describing is a team that knows they can throw the ball and a team that knows they can run the ball. They can move the chains on any down and distance. They have talent everywhere, and they actually have protection. That's the weirdest thing in the world for Cleveland, I know, especially considering their head coach comes from Minnesota, which is another franchise that has absolutely no protection on on their offense whatsoever. Cleveland is one of the better pass-protecting teams in the NFL right now. It's the weirdest thing in the world to me, but I I said all offseason, if Cleveland gets protection, 
they're going to be one of the best teams in the AFC. Right. I guarantee that. And it's exactly what we're seeing to this point. And I think this is why Cleveland went out and, and hired Bill Callahan five seconds after they hired Kevin Stefanski. Yep. They said flat out, we need to do a better job protecting it. No more you know, clown circus offensive line coaches. We need somebody <laughs> to come in here and actually show how to do this right. And it, it's not just simply they, bunch, they, they dumped a bunch of money into personnel. They have better tackles than they had last year. There's sure. no doubt about that. But they're coached much better. They have a scheme. They're running more consistent plays in more packages than they were last year. They're doing more things. They're a dangerous offense. They're not going to be an easy team to beat. And it might be the best matchup this, of, of this weekend's slate of games. Pittsburgh and Cleveland, yeah. uh, they, they counteract each other very well. It, it's going to be really interesting to see how each team prepares for each other. But as far as Pittsburgh goes, I don't know. It, it's, it's a real tough matchup for them. I don't think they're, they're great against Cleveland, where Cleveland is right now. But I, I could see Pittsburgh allowing nine points, and I could see them allowing 40. I really could, yeah. just because... Cleveland is explosive. Uh, they're deep. They do a lot of different things. Um, from what we've seen of Pittsburgh in coverage to this point, I don't know how much they're really going to want to try to test them deep, but uh, they're a running team. They want to run the ball. If they can get that going, Pittsburgh's going to be in for a long day. There are three critical elements in this segment. Two of them were outstanding. You and the bump music. All right. <laughs> tell, tell Tom I want I want that MP3. I'm going to send it over. I'm blasting that now. Whatever that was. Absolutely, Neil. Great to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. Definitely. Thanks for having me, guys. Neil Coolong. Off the air, I got into a little conversation with Neil about the Jersey Shore situation. He feels the same way we do. Or he feels the same way I do. I'm you're, you're a little neutral on this, but. I think maybe the chief ought to go by himself. Those are wonderful people there. Fabulous football program. I've heard but, and seen. But I I can't. I, I'm not going to the game. The person we're sending has shown incredible disrespect and disdain. I'm concerned. <laughs> so is the chief, I'm sure. She should be concerned every Friday. All right, we'll come back also with more true. in a moment. <laughs> Ed Kratz, SI.com, Eagle Maven at 435. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way. The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. All right, so the Steinbrenner family says they want Gary Sanchez back. 
Much to your chagrin. He says, we'll get Gary back to form next year. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Well. That was typical owner speak of, yeah, he kind of stunk during the playoffs and we had to go to Higgy, but we'll get him back anyway because maybe we like his bat a little bit. Wow. That's a shame. The, because uh, I mean, they could put Gary Sanchez in uh, Jersey Shore and the suit could announce the game. So now you could have a lot of <laughs> universal problems. Maybe oh he'll learn goodness. to block the plate there. I don't know. I don't know. This is a. You just you just don't seem happy. I mean, I I take the thirty six million they gave to the six inning wonder, you know, biggest game of the year. Figure you could pitch nine, uh, but that's all right. Um, the greats have Bob Gibson just passed away. Uh, nine World Series games, all complete games. But that's okay. It's a different era. Had to go after six. They had a pinch hit for him. Oh, that's right. There was a DH. They gave that dude thirty six million. Didn't get nine innings out of him in the biggest game. Okay. 1975, game four of the World Series. The Red Sox needed to win. Needed to win the game. Louis Tion threw 168 pitches. And they won. Different era. Louis Tian wasn't getting $36 million a year. What does Sanchez get? How much does Sanchez make? I'll have to look that up. I don't know. By $5 million maybe? Maybe, maybe less? Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors here with 11 and 15 and almost working online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. Great pre-owned inventory. Great time to buy. All at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. So very quickly, your guy Garrett Cole went five and a third in a must game. Struck out nine, outstanding. Walked two, threw 94 pitches. Hmm. 1975 World Series Game 4, Red Sox down two games to one, really need to win it. They send Louis Tian out there. He throws 168 pitches. Yeah, 74 more. Not only that, he got a hit and score to run. All right. Different time, different era. I know who I want out there. All right, great. Uh, Sure. I'm not joking. I know who I want out there. You know, how many, you know how many playoff games Louis Tiant lost in his career? How many games did Louis Tiant lose in his career? My guess in is the none. Post, in, the, in the postseason, that's right, none. He never lost a postseason game. Sir, I'm not joking. Right? 
biggest game of the season, your guy's got it five and a third. Times changed, but all I know is that Bob Gibson would not have come out. Would not. But we get to that magic 94-pitch limit, your guy, gone. Amazing. Bob Gibson, arm trouble? No. Louis Tiarn, arm trouble? No. Today? Eh, we're not so sure. All right. Having a little fun with you. Having a little fun with your $36 million man. It's a lot of money to pay for seven wins. All right. He couldn't help the schedule. He was actually having a great season. Ed Kratz joins us. SI.com. Eagle Maven. Ed, welcome. Great to have you with us. Hey, thanks. You want to talk about Tom Seaver or Robin Roberts oh. or any of these other great picture, pitchers? <laughs> Tom, Tom Seaver, I think, what had 71 baseballs sitting in his house. And um, I'm trying to remember which pitcher it was. It may have been Ron Darling. And Ron said, what's the 71 for? He says, my complete game shutouts. <laughs> <laughs> he was an all-time great. There is no question, Tom Seaver. Uh, I grew up in Philadelphia, but I love to watch uh, Tom Seaver pitch hey, when I was a boy. Game, game 469 World Series, 10-inning game. Seaver, complete game, needed to win it. They won 2-1. to one. Yeah, right. That's that's what a, that's what a, that's what a Hall of Fame all time great does. That's exactly right, Ed. Exactly right. I'm trying to convince these Yankee people, like you know, like Whitey <laughs> Ford would have gone out there. All right. Yeah. <laughs> signs of life, Ed, in the Eagles' offense. Why? Oh, uh, signs of life. You say? Well, I think um, they need to show more signs of life. To be honest with you, they did put up 29 and. Uh, you know, Doug Peterson gets a lot of grief for not being a good play caller, but when you look at the cast that uh, he's running out there to score 29 points against that defense, does look like some signs of life. And if you're going to call it that, then you have to look at, I guess, Travis Fulgham, a guy they kind of got off the scrap heap, a former draft pick of the Lions, uh, went to uh, played three games with them, didn't catch a single pass. Uh, that was two years ago. And then he went to uh, Green Bay, didn't even get on the field. He got cut. The Eagles got him. Had 10 catches for 152 yards and a touchdown uh, in that loss against Pittsburgh. So he looks like, to me, the number one receiver that Carson has not had in a while because Deshaun Jackson's hurt again. Alshon Jeffrey uh, still hasn't been able to uh, answer the bell here after having surgery 10 months ago, uh, list Frank surgery. Uh, so that's a positive. Miles Sanders had a and terrific. Rager, and, you know, and they've had Rieger either, the other wideout. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, Jalen Rieger, their number one draft pick, uh, is yeah. out with uh, with a thumb injury. He's not expected back until probably after the bye, November fifteenth. I think would be their first game back after the bye. So, uh, yeah, that they they're running guys out there just kind of like they did last year, Steve, when they won four in a row. Guys, you've probably never heard of. Travis Fulgham, Greg Ward's a little bit more of a household name now, mm-hmm. but yeah. uh, they're using him. They're using J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. He really hasn't done a lot since being drafted in the second round last year. Uh, guys like Deontay Burnett. I mean, it's just a, a cast of no names, and, and maybe Fulgham will become that that name uh, receiver as these weeks go on, and maybe that, that will spark this team's offense. You started to mention Miles Sanders in that yeah. answer, Red, so I want you to expand upon that. He did have the big run, but after that, I think he only gained six yards the rest of the game. Yeah, six yards on ten carries. I mean, that that, that was an electric burst, and you thought, 
uh, okay, you know what, this is going to be a good homecoming game for Miles. Of course, you know, he grew up 15 miles outside the city, right through the Squirrel Hill Tunnel there in Pittsburgh, uh, played for the Woodland Hills uh, high school team, um, rooted for the Steelers growing up. Uh, and here he comes into Heinz Field. He rips off that 74-yard run. Then he scores another touchdown, one-yard uh, touchdown burst uh, later in the game. But, but like you said, they shut him down. And uh, if you look for reasons why, I think they need a better complement for Sanders for, for one, one of those reasons. And the second is that offensive line of the Eagles has been uh, just ravaged with injury. They lost uh, four starters. It looks like they're going to be without Lane Johnson, the right tackle, uh, in these next two games. Uh, and, and now you're running out guys like Jordan Malata at left tackle because Jason Peters and Andre Dillard are hurt. And Malata's the Australian rugby player who, you know, two years ago when they drafted him and I was there for his first practice, he couldn't even figure out how to put his helmet on. He had never played yeah. football before. So now here he is. He's out there as your left tackle. You got a 22 year old kid, undrafted free agent from Stanford next to him at the guard spot. Uh, and then at right tackle, you're going to end up starting a rookie from Auburn, Jack Driscoll. Uh, the only stalwart on that line has been Jason Kelsey. He's the only one that's been able to stay healthy. And, you know, if you're going to have one that's going to stay healthy, he's the guy because at center, he makes all the calls. He's a 32 year old veteran. He, he's made uh, 84 straight starts. So you hope he can stay healthy and kind of be the glue that keeps this whole thing together. How much would it help if somehow down the road they can get Lane Johnson in there to at least give him a second person? Yeah, you know, Lane's been in and out. You know, he's trying about – he had ankle surgery in August, uh, middle of August, uh, tightrope surgery they called it. And uh, he's right. been battling swelling in that thing ever since. So, uh, you know, he'll get in, he'll play, the ankle will swell up, he comes out. Sometimes he comes back, sometimes he doesn't. So, you know, that that's not an ideal situation either. You have to find a starter that you can get ready as a starter during practice, uh, you know, in the, in the days leading up to a game. And I, I, I suspect, and this hasn't been announced, I'm, I'm saying it here that I just talked to someone who told me they're probably going to shut him down for these next two games to give him some rest. Uh, the Eagles play two games in four days. They play Sunday against Baltimore and then Thursday against the Giants. Uh, so this is an ideal time to shut him down. That's the only thing that's going to help this ankle get better is shutting him down and giving him rest. And uh, the Eagles are ready to do that is what I've been told. You know, we were talking about baseball earlier, Ed, and it's interesting when a team is going bad, you know, say they're a terrific hitting team, but they can't pitch. They just give up a ton of runs. they got to outscore people. The day they get a brilliant pitching performance is the day the bats go into a slump. So let's get to the defense. Let's get into the defense for a moment. Um, yeah. There have been some games where they played decently, but then against the Steelers on Sunday, they couldn't stop them. Uh, what do you see in that Eagle defense right now? It's just a lot of inconsistency. They're not communicating well. Um, they're a little undermanned at the linebacker's position, but that's kind yeah. of by choice. They don't dump a lot of resources into that spot. Yeah, their front four or five, six guys that they rotate on that defensive line are very good, but you see how they can be exposed when they're not getting to the quarterback. You know, the Steelers offensive line did a, a terrific job holding that defensive line to just one sack in the game. This was a defensive line that had rung up 13 sacks 
uh, in it combined in its previous two games. They had 33 quarterback hits. You know, I know Ben's getting rid of the ball quickly, and he was really – Ben was just playing lights out. You know, you look at yeah. the third down completions he made. He he was 11 for 11 for 158 yards and two touchdowns on third down. Uh, I don't know what you can do against that. If you're having a day, you're having a day. But this right. Eagles defense – seems prone to misdirection plays the Rams really took it to him with you know a, a, a lot of misdirection plays a lot of jet right. sweeps a lot of wide receiver runs and the Steelers seem to kind of copy that you know you look at Ray Ray McLeod he, he picked up some big yards in the run game um, you know Chase Claypool scored one of his four touchdowns with a rushing touchdown I mean the Eagles are prone and maybe it's they over pursue maybe they're too aggressive up front uh, but they're really prone to these misdirection type plays and receivers on on double reverses or jet sweeps. Yeah, they take you know, look when you when when you're trying to make a play, you are prone to do that because I, my team needs me to make a play, and that's when you take a bad angle or you over pursue and get caught, and that's what's happened with them. Uh, yeah, and you try to do too much. You know, you you, you try to exactly. do too much, and you try to do another guy's job, and uh, nobody is benefited by that. I want to ask you an officiating question for a moment. Now, I'm not saying this has anything to do with the outcome of the game, not at all, but the, the officiating has been really up and down so far. Early in the game, Darius Slay gets called for pass interference. The ball by Roethlisberger is not only clearly overthrown, it's overthrown out of bounds. To me, pass interference, this is me, and you can dispute this if you wish, please, Ed. To me, pass interference is the defender, in this case, Interfering with the possibility of you making a catch. If the ball's out of bounds, and even if he does catch it, which he's not because it's overthrown, it's not going to be a catch. I, I I did not understand that call at all. Yeah, I mean, you could point to several calls, and I agree with you, Steve, by the way. I mean, if that ball is heading out of bounds or it's uncatchable, and we, we don't see a whole lot of uncatchables. You know, it's that motion reps make with the waving their hand over their head, yeah. uncatchable. And we haven't seen a whole lot of that, you know. Um, I, I just thought there were several penalties both ways in that game on Sunday. I mean, there were 16 flags thrown in that game, and uh, I know for the Eagles, eight of them came on defense, and I think there were three P.I. calls, um, but I, I think nobody really wants to see that. I mean, if it's an egregious penalty, then sure. You know, if someone's yes. jumping off sides or there's a you know a, a clear hold or you know, like you said, if you're interfering with someone catching a catchable ball, then yeah, throw the flag. But uh, some of these calls to me just look like you know, keep your flag in your pocket. Nobody wants to see. Uh, you guys converse uh, for, you know, a minute, two minutes while you decide what you're going to call. I mean, let's just play the game. It really interrupts the flow, the fun. And like I said, I'm not saying don't throw flags, but throw flags when they're, uh, you know, when they're warranted, not for stuff that you think you saw. The NFL is pushing forward with its schedule. They've had to make adjustments. How do you think they've handled all of this so far, Ed? Well, they're dancing as fast as they can. It looks like to me, uh, you know, it's not yeah. it's not easy, obviously. And we and we knew this was coming. We just, I think, were blinded uh, by the fact that it could come because for the first what three weeks or so, everything was going great. You know, you thought, yeah. okay, they have this under control. But you know, then we see the outbreak in Tennessee and then New England, and uh, suddenly you start doing some trace testing and you see how it impacts the other teams and. 
Um, I think we all expected it. I think the NFL is doing as good a job as they can. Uh, having these bye weeks helps. I don't, it's certainly not going to help the Steelers, though, when you look at it, because you look at Pittsburgh, and they had their bye week, really, in week, what, four, I guess. They were 3-0, and yep. they had to sit out. So now you're going to end up playing 13 straight games if you're Pittsburgh, and, and other teams are going to be impacted by that. And then you look at the Eagles. They, they played a Steelers team that had a built-in bye when they weren't supposed to have a bye. Um, so it, it's going to affect some teams. Uh, I think you're just going to have to roll with the changes here, and you really, really cross your fingers and hope that uh, they can get this season in by doing what they're doing and uh, postponing games and finding a spot later in the year when they play them. And uh, I, I'm not sure it's going to be doable, to be honest. I, I think they should probably add an 18th week uh, right. at the end of the year here, um, and that may be what happens, but right now they're just trying to do as best a job they can at rescheduling some of these games that are canceled because of COVID. And yet, despite all of this, the Eagles are still in the, quote, thick of the race in the NFC East. Dak Prescott's yeah. out for, for the next four to six months, so it's Andy Dalton's team. So how do you think this thing lines up right now? Hey, you know, that's not bad being an Andy Dalton team. You know, he won some games in Cincinnati. I think he won he over did. 100 games with the Bengals he, in his time there. I mean, this this guy stepped in, and and we saw with the Eagles in 2017 when Carson Wentz went down in Week 13 with with the two ligament uh, uh, injuries. Uh, Nick Foles stepped in. Uh, you know, and Nick yep. Foles had experience. So, you know, to me, Andy Dalton, you can win games with Andy Dalton. You still have, you know, Ezekiel Elliott. But Dallas has questions on the offensive line. Their defense obviously has been kind of, uh, you know, ripped uh, week in and week out. A lot of points being scored on it. Uh, and here the Eagles are, you know, they're in the like they're a half game out, right? One, three, and one uh, puts them a half game out of first place. I mean, this is a division, Steve. That it may only take seven wins to to win, and and maybe even six. I mean, as hard as it is to say that and believe that, it could happen. Um, but I think Dallas probably has the most talent in the division. Uh, and whether or not they can rally around Andy Dalton now and put this thing together, I still think it's their division. I think the Eagles will eventually find their footing. But they, they've got a pretty rough schedule ahead themselves. You know, I mentioned Baltimore this weekend. And they yep. still have New Orleans on the schedule. Arizona's on the schedule. Cleveland looks uh, terrific at 4-1. and one. Uh, you know, they're still laying out there, and then they still have to play the Cowboys twice. So uh, it's not going to be easy for the Eagles. I still think the Cowboys will do enough. They'll have enough to win this division, but I don't think they're going to need any more than seven wins at this point. I agree. Ed, thanks so much. I really appreciate your time. I always enjoy having you on. Thanks, Steve. Love doing it. Ed Kratz joining us. SI.com, Eagle Maven. Did that encourage you at all? Nah, he was right on, and he also and also the Eagles' schedule coming up: Green Bay, Seattle. <laughs> yeah, I I hear him. I don't think the Eagles have much of a chance this weekend, to be honest with you. I mean, they won the division last year, right? They did. By the so skin of their means, teeth, they did. That, yeah, that means you have a first place schedule. Yeah, exactly. That's that's why you have this schedule because yeah, of what you did last yeah. year. That's why they do this. They, you know, last place team gets the last place schedule. First place team gets the first place schedule. That's how they keep trying to roll new teams into this thing all the time. That's why you draft the way you draft. I didn't get a chance to ask him about Jalen Hurts. It's a nice pass he threw for the completion. Yeah, he finally made you, a play. Yeah, but just that's your second round pick. 
your second round pick is a couple plays a game. Exactly right. I, I don't know. I'm not seeing it. You're speaking my language now. If you want, we can speak the suits language. I've got a, several monosyllabic words. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WK, okay? Back to pass, looking all the way to Titus. Pick six coming! Krieger! Good! Touchdown! Shikalami! Krieger saw what I saw! Do you see what I see? It's, 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 you know, we're coming up on the holiday season. And uh, our version of Bing Crosby on the air on Friday nights. Yeah. I mean, you listen to that play again, you have no idea what yard line he picked it off at. You, have, you know, it doesn't give you a trip with the ball. Suddenly he's in the end zone. I don't know. It's like. But we all had to know that he saw it. I mean, it's, you know. Uh, you know I, really? And <sighs> yeah, that's like the, the big thing lately is uh, what is it? Um, eye recognition? Is that what it is? Yes. Like that's, that's the big thing now. It's like watching, a, a, like, in politics, you can tell they all have the same consultant because there'll be something that will happen, and then one politician after another comes out and uses either the same phrase or the same word. They all do. Boom, 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 boom. You sit there, and, of course, I instantly lose respect because that means you can't think for yourself. All right, well, you can't think on your feet? I mean, <laughs> boy, you're doing a game. You'd be lost. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Uh well, this is the same thing happens in sports. They they latch onto a phrase and then they want to use the phrase all the time, and that's the new one this year's eye recognition. Well, you know, eye recognition. We've talked about that for years. That you have to see it. I'm talking about as a player, see it, believe it, make it. It's the ones that see it hesitate because they're not quite sure and they lose a step or two. Then they commit to it. That's when they either give up the play or just t- get totally burned. The ones that make plays on defense, see it, believe it, make it. And that's eye recognition. Okay? Uh, that seems to be the new phrase being used this year. It's an old concept. There's, but it's it by saying that, it becomes a crutch, and it doesn't tell you what's really happening. What's really happening is tackling has been mediocre so far. And what's happening is that you have players that are taking bad angles. Oh, they see it and they make the wrong angle because they they don't they're not playing well in space. Take them. We talk about angles all the time. Yep. I have to win one big game, and you want to put Garrett Cole out there. I'd put Louis Tion out there. Sorry. At least I know in the ninth inning you'll still be out there firing it. But you'd put Garrett Cole out there. Any day of the week with not Sanchez behind the plate. He went five and a third in your biggest game.